Please be seated. <coughs> Ladies and gentlemen, today we have been blessed and benefited by the great ministry of Monty Nichols. He's done a marvelous job today for 13 years, the minister of music at Peachtree Corners Baptist Church in Norcross. And uh, he's done a marvelous work. Our music and worship team has exalted the Lord today. And I'm glad to introduce Monty to you, but I'm also glad to introduce you and all on the platform to Monty as well. And I'm just so happy. I think the Lord deserves a clap offering, don't you think? Good. Thank you, Monty. Good work. I do want to invite your attention to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis chapter 24. Uh, this morning I want to speak on the subject of the romance of evangelism. I remember uh, when I was still a single young man, the uh, year after I had met Michelle and worked with her for the summer, I met every Wednesday with a man who would be the best man in my wedding, and we would spend Wednesday mornings at a local donut shop drinking coffee and eating kolaches in the middle of the morning. And if you've never had one of those critters, they're quite, uh, quite good. But in any case, we would spend really two semesters, about every Wednesday, reflecting on the previous summer. We had a powerful summer uh, together, working a youth camp called Centrifuge in East Texas, at East Texas Baptist University, my alma mater. And I went back to my second year in seminary, and Brian, his second year as well, and Michelle went back to uh, East Tennessee to Maribel College for her senior year in college. She eventually come out the next year to start seminary at Southwestern. And uh, that year, Brian and I really talked about the previous summer every Wednesday and reflected on it. God did a neat work in our life. And there was a fellowship, an intense fellowship, among the 16 of us that were on staff. Uh, we had a grumpy person or two, but the rest of us were um, uh, so intensely in love with one another and committed each other that we were able to dilute uh, grumpy influences that particular summer. That's good for a church, too, by the way. But I'll never forget that the next year when Michelle came out and she and I started dating, I talked to Brian about it and asked his opinion. He said, well, I'm not a bit surprised. That's all you ever talked about last year on Wednesday. And I, I was a bit embarrassed. I didn't realize it. You know how you can have something on your heart and you can try to disguise it, but it comes out in your conversation? I talked about Michelle like a blubbering idiot every Wednesday with Brian over kolaches and coffee. And he told me later that she happened to be over uh, Brian's apartment one day and uh, with, the, with the friend and some others there. And um, I don't know if she was anxious about finding a husband eventually or what, but he had her make a list of the things she wanted in a guy. And she listed off 10 or 12 things. And, and um, he looked at her and he said, David Mills is this man. Now, I wasn't. I think, I think I matched two of the 12 things on the list. She wanted a fellow with black hair. You know, mine's pretty dark after cleaning up or getting out of a swimming pool, but otherwise it was turning loose and turning gray even back then. Uh, one was uh, he wore cowboy boots, and I, I do generally do that or often do that. Uh, but um, he also liked country music. I don't like country music, <laughs> at least anything after 1960. Uh, I, I don't uh, appreciate someone singing about their third wife running off with this horse to Amarillo, Texas. So it's just not my kind. But in any case, what Brian did there 
is that Brian massaged the relationships real carefully and guided and directed us. And there's a very informal sense in which Brian played matchmaker in a very culturally appropriate way. Well, that role in ancient civilizations and other civilizations today is really more pronounced and explicit. Uh, there are in some cultures and among some tribes and clans folks who play matchmaker in communities. And that's much the way that happened in the centuries that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were living. And this morning we're going to look at a matchmaking service that Abraham created for his son Isaac. And it really relates to you. It's not a distant thing to you. It's not a distant thing from anyone in the whole earth, in fact. It's profoundly important because here in Genesis 24, we find God advancing His plan of redemption. He's driving towards the birth, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, even as far back as Genesis chapter 24. You see, um, there, for there to be a birth and life of Christ, there had to be a Mary. And for there to be a Mary, she had to have a family. And for her to have a family, there had to be a King David, to whom she was related. For there to be a King David, there had to be a tribe of Judah. For there to be a tribe of Judah, there had to be a who? In Israel. For there to be an Israel, a nation, at least 12 sons, there had to be a Jacob. For there to be a Jacob, there had to be an Isaac and Rebekah. And for there to be an Isaac and Rebekah who bring Jacob into the earth, there had to be a marriage and wedding. And that is what we find here in Genesis chapter 24 when Isaac and Rebekah were matched together and brought about true love and holy matrimony. <laughs> so with the Lord's help, Abraham's servant, who I think was Eliezer, found a bride for his master's son. And the chapter here in chapter 24 is the longest chapter in Genesis, by the way. It's one of the longest in all the Bible. And it's divided into several sections. One is duty. And in this chapter, by the way, the story is told and then the servant tells it again. And so the story actually appears twice in this one chapter. And for an oral culture where they didn't have copies of the scripture, telling stories twice was often what happened in the Old Testament and in some other places. So there is first here a duty. He, Eliezer has the duty to do what Abraham wants him to do, and that is to go to the land, his original land, to find a bride for Isaac. That's in chapter 24, verses 1 through 9, and then retold in chapter uh, 24, verses 34 through 41. And then the servant prays for direction in verses 42 through 44. That's him telling it, but the story actually happens in verses 10 through 14. Then there is a discussion when he arrives there with Rebekah and with Laban in verses 45 through 48. That originally happens beginning in verse number 15. And then there is a decision where following the um, uh, story of Eliezer, where he asked Rebekah, it's time to go, will you be his bride? And they look at her and say, will you go with this man? Verse 49 and 58, and uh, well, verse 54 through 58. Then they depart and leave Rebekah's land for Isaac in verse number 61. And that's really told in verse 60 through verse 67. I want to read for you this morning verses 50 and 51, the culmination of the story, beginning in verse number 51. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either good or bad. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go. 
and let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words that he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. Now, what in the world does this have to do with evangelism? Well, it's really not far from it. We, we can use marriage as an image and an analogy for a couple of things in the Bible. One happens to be salvation, and the other happens to be evangelism itself. Uh, that, that is found often in Scripture, Isaiah 54, Isaiah 62, Hosea 2, John chapter 3, Romans chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 as well. But in verse 60 of chapter 24, we have a direct link to the expansion of Israel and the legacy of, Jay, uh, of, um, of uh, Isaac and Rebekah in verse number 60. When Rebekah was to leave, they blessed Rebekah in verse 60 and said to her, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. That is an expansion of Israel that Paul would pick up on in Romans 4 and Galatians chapter 3, saying that the expansion would happen not only ethnically and by natural birth, but would happen evangelistically through salvation and the new birth as well. The New Testament picks up on this expansion theme of Israel and applies it beyond Israel to the Gentiles, and thank God he did, that's where you and I benefit. But that's not all. There's also the notion of Israel possessing the gates of his enemies, which is an image for the king of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be known as the Lord Jesus Christ, being king of kings and lord of lords. So there is salvation and evangelism and eschatology all wrapped up in verse number 60. On the heels of this marriage between Isaac and Rebekah. Now, before we go any further, I want to ask and answer the question real briefly, what is evangelism. There's a very simple definition of evangelism I'll share with you today. We could make it rather complex if we needed to, and that would be appropriate in some cases, but simply put, evangelism consists of verbally sharing the salvation message of Christ with non-Christians, inviting them to trust Christ as Savior and follow Him as Lord. It is a verbal thing. Christian service and Christian example are good. They are necessary. They're one of the most urgent needs of the hour. But Christian example and Christian service are not evangelism. Evangelism consists of verbally sharing the gospel with non-Christians uh, and inviting them to trust Christ as Savior and follow Him as Lord. So it's, it's more than merely reciting the facts of the gospel, as important as that is. That is an urgent need of the hour. We actually press upon non-Christians the claims of Christ and invite them to immediately repent and believe the gospel. Or to trust Christ as Savior and follow Him as Lord. That is the invitation. In fact, God is making that invitation to you today through the ministries of Beach Haven Baptist Church. Through her study and through her worship, through the music, through the preaching, He is offering that invitation to you today. And that's why we have a formal invitation after the sermon every Sunday because God offers an invitation and we want to give you all the help today today to repent and believe the gospel so we'll offer you that opportunity at the end of the message today so uh, the subject this morning is the romance of evangelism and I want to urge you to believe you can be a matchmaker between the world and Jesus Christ God wants you to play the same role for his son that Eliezer played for Abraham's son 
And so there's a marvelous romance to evangelism. Well, how do I play matchmaker for God's son? Well, the first thing is, accept your master's, accept your master's summons or accept your master's assignment. That's what Eliezer did. Uh, in uh, uh, chapter 24, verse 10, in verse 33, we find a couple of things about Eliezer. Uh, one happens to be his tasks, and they indicated acceptance. Eliezer was the leader of this large household that Abraham had. Abraham's household was so large, he had to have a personal assistant manage it and run it. And Eliezer was the man. Eliezer had to look after servants themselves who probably looked after other servants in the household, in the flock, over the finances, over public relations, in all sorts of uh, transactions that took place there in Abraham's uh, service. In fact, when Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, he was so significant that they etched his name on the columns in that city, archaeologists have found. So Abraham, early on, was very significant and very powerful and only grew in power with his obedience to God going to the promised land. Ladies and gentlemen, Eliezer had other tasks to do in life besides find some young boy a wife. And yet it was so important to Abraham, he set his best servant on it and Eliezer did that exact thing. He accepted his master's assignment. But it's not only his task but also his urgency. In verse number 33 they ask him if he'd like something to eat to rest his camels, and to recover from his trip. But look what he says in verse number 33. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And he said, speak on. He would not rest until he announced what he was there for, and that was to take Rebekah home to Isaac on behalf of Abraham. And so he set aside food. He set aside comforts. He was urgent about accepting his master's assignment. Now why did he accept his master's assignment? Well if you'll read through these verses carefully in chapter 24 you will find the word master referring to Abraham used 22 times in this one chapter. Eliezer had a clear vision that he was the servant and Abraham was the master and quite frankly that's the best approach to approaching God today. We are not kings, we are servants. We are not gods or masters. We are under the Lord. He is master and we play matchmaker for God's son because God told us to do it. Hey, and I've got to tell you, that's profoundly important. Do you know why? Because evangelism will make your teeth chatter, it'll make your knees knock. It is frontline spiritual warfare and there's some days when your feelings are not going to be in it. But God's command always is, and so we do it whether we feel like it or not. In fact, I've told you before, it's a lot easier to act your way into a new way of feeling than to feel your way into a new way of acting. We do not obey God merely when we feel like it. We don't praise His name, we don't tithe, we don't attend, we don't obey, we don't pursue holiness, we don't witness merely when we feel like it. We do it because He commanded it. We live for Him, we bow for Him, no matter how mischievous or stubborn or how undisciplined our feelings happen to be. We do what God wants us to do because He is the Master. We do what He wants us to do. So we match unbelievers with Jesus Christ because God is our Master. We're not here to live for fame, for fortune, or for personal satisfaction. We live to obey Him. Well, you know, that might be a little uncomfortable. Indeed, it will be. 
Hey, that's one of the best ways to mature a new Christian. Take them soul with you. You uh, knock on a couple of doors or witness to a couple of folks on the street, and at the third one, ten seconds before you meet somebody, you look at the new convert and say, now it's your turn. And I guarantee you, his or her prayer life will increase dramatically. <laughs> he or she will start thinking of scriptures to memorize. Now, I'm a little more tactful and uh, intentional in training folks in evangelism uh, than uh, that particular way. But it will improve and greatly increase discipleship. But I need to say to you about this comfort thing. There are so many folks saying, you know, I'm comfortable and that's within my comfort level. And I, you know, and I, I can understand and appreciate some of that. But I need to tell you something. If our Christian life ever comes to the point where it looks like something other than a cross, it's probably not the Christian life we're living. The Christian life is intended to nail us on a cross and keep us there that we might die to everything we are. We are dead on a cross when we follow Jesus. And of course, what did Jesus say about the cross as it relates to us? If any man, help me, if any man come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And where was Jesus going? All the way to Calvary, to crucifixion. A.W. Tozer said that when we are on the cross, we are dead. And a dead man has no feelings. He's not coming down. And that's the Christian life. And I need to say to you, if you come to Christ today... The Lord is inviting you to that. Of course, I will tell you, when He crucifies your sin and your personal desires and goals and aspirations, He's actually crucifying that which has afflicted you for so long and made you out of favor with God. And you'll be grateful for it. You ask some of these that have been around for several decades faithfully following Jesus Christ, and the best thing is to crucify self, not live in it. Accept your master's assignment. But there's a second thing we do to play matchmaker for God's Son. And that is believe your master's promise. Believe your master's promise. Uh, chapter 24, verse 12. Then he said, O Lord, God, my o Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master. God is the one who can give success in his will. And he's the one that shows kindness to masters. Uh, the truth is, is that God's character is something of a promise. Now, this is going to help you obey the Lord. God's character is a promise. God is always holy, so none of his decisions are polluted with foolishness or self-desire. God is always love. God is always wisdom, and God is always right. And so, with every step that you take, you are accompanied by God in love, in holiness, purity, and righteousness, and wisdom. And so failing with him is like falling off a floor. It probably isn't going to happen. And so the character of God is something of a promise. In other words, if you get serious about playing matchmaker for God's son in the romance of evangelism, you're probably going to be very successful and very effective. God is probably going to do more through you than you ever imagined because of the promise of his character. Then verse number 27 he says here, and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth towards my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me. 
And that is what God does. God is very kind and like a faithful shepherd. He is deeply invested and deeply committed to leading his people in the right direction. He promises to guide us in the romance of evangelism. It's precisely what he does. So there is no marriage in heaven. It is a temporary arrangement on this earth. I don't know what the relationship with spouses will be in heaven. I'll tell you, and I know this will be good news to some of you, actually all of you, it's better than it is here, I guess. God directs us, though, into marriage. He leads and He guides into marriage. So, if God will direct people in the temporary arrangement on this earth called marriage, don't you think He will direct you in the eternal responsibility of evangelism? Where a relationship is established and there is a wedding that takes place between the sinner and the Savior, that lasts for all eternity. If God will guide in marriage, He'll guide in service of evangelism, is what He'll do. God comes through. Now, what what does this mean? When you share the gospel, here's what this means. It means, one, you never work alone. The master soul winner, Jesus Christ, accompanies you all the way. You never work alone. You never walk alone. The second thing is, you will never witness to the wrong person. Anyone that's breathing is who God loves and is interested in. Third, you will probably say the right thing. You probably will. If if you're humble before God, if you've been prayerful, I suggest to you, say what comes to mind. God is probably leading you. Now, I do want to caution, if you have the personality of a chainsaw, um, we need to talk before you do that, okay? (laughs) Otherwise, if you're humble and prayerful, you will probably say the right thing. And then finally, you will never meet anyone who will be better off as a non-Christian. You never will. In fact, I've met hundreds and thousands that have come to Jesus Christ and not a one of them has regretted it. Jesus Christ has always been more than he was ever claimed to be. It is a very frustrating thing to be a preacher. It really is, because what we know of Christ is very hard to articulate through human words. And the fellowship I have with Jesus Christ and the the explosive truth that surfaces from His Word is is so difficult to express in human language. It's frustrating to be a preacher. I, I can't hardly say even a fraction of what my soul feels for Jesus. And I know those of you who teach the Word are the same way. And so that's why we trust the Holy Spirit to do this work. But I want to assure you that if this morning I have commended Jesus Christ to you even in a small way, He is better than I could ever say. His glories surpass my articulation. His his majesties are far beyond my voice. He is greater and He is better than any human soul or human voice or tongue can tell. All for 10,000 tongues to sing the praises of this King. You'll never be better off as a non-Christian. And I assure you, when you meet Jesus Christ today, He'll be far more than we've ever said. And far more even than we've sung. Believe your Master's promise. So God loves Jesus, and God loves the world, and He is interested in your effectiveness and your success in this world in bringing people to His Son as a matchmaker. You probably will not fail 
it is highly likely that you will succeed if you'll believe his promise. So accept your master's assignment and believe your master's promise. But there is a third thing. Communicate your master's riches. Oh, the servant doesn't hold back about the wealth of Abraham. Beginning in verse number 34, he rehearses to them, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he has become great. And he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. He's transferred it all to Isaac. Isaac is the only heir. You know, it is a marvelous thing to contemplate the wealth and the riches of Jesus Christ. Paul did that in Ephesians 3, 8, where he talked about the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable riches of Christ. He's the only way, but he's invited the whole world. And you know what's good? While he's invited the whole world, there's enough grace to cover every sin. There's enough mercy to help in every need. There's enough tenderness in heaven to hear every prayer. There's enough strength to secure every soul for the glories that will be. He has unsearchable riches. His riches are far beyond calculation. They're far beyond imagination. And that's how the Lord Jesus Christ is. The unfathomable riches of Christ. The King James Version says unsearchable riches. The New Living Translation, the endless treasures. The New American Standard, unfathomable riches. Uh, Another translation, unending wealth. Uh, God's Word translation, immeasurable wealth. Home and Christian Standard, incalculable riches. What Jesus Christ has. Yes, we are poor and needy. We are bankrupt. Our, Our account is overdrawn with God. We are in debt to the court and the bank of heaven. But Jesus Christ is enough to pay the debt and pay the account and make us fully, thoroughly, eternally right with God. I have a great need for Christ, but I have a great Christ for my every need. And so there is no need that Jesus Christ is not wealthy enough to meet. He is enough. He's good enough. He's kind enough. He's present enough. He is wealthy enough. He is strong enough for every need that we may have. And Christ inherited all his Father's wealth in the ascension and coronation at the right hand of the Father. Therefore, he abounds with grace, mercy, forgiveness, and love. My Master can meet us with grace that is greater than all our sins. That's what he does. In fact, when you come to Jesus Christ, sin is no longer a part of the calculation. It was at the cross. But the cross was enough. And God then transfers all the guilt and all the fury and all the wrath for our sins to the cross. And he transfers all the wealth and the beauty and the beloved nature of the Lord Jesus Christ to the sinner. Simply by the price of faith. Who could ever resist a God like this? And who could be silent about him? No, not you. Not you. Communicate your master's wealth. Then deliver your master's invitation. In in verse number 49, the invitation begins. Now, if you will deal kindly with me, Eliezer says to the household there, and truly with my master, tell me. Meaning, tell me now. And if not... Tell me, or tell me now. And and I give that invitation to you. 
If today you will deal kindly and humbly with Jesus Christ, tell me. If not, tell me. And you'll have the chance to do that today. That I may turn to the right hand or to the left. And Laban says the thing comes from the Lord and he turned it over to Rebekah. But then in verse number 56, or excuse me, verse number um, verse 52, it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words that he worshiped the Lord bowing himself to the earth. And then the servant brought out jewelry of silver and jewelry of gold and clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed up all night. And then they arose in the morning and he said, Send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least ten. One of ten more days with her. After that she may go. And he said to them, Do not hinder me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away so that I may go to my master. And they did in verse 61. Then Rebekah and her maids arose and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. They wanted some delay of 10 days there. Charles Spurgeon said about this text, he said, 10 days did not seem too long, but they might have been 10 days too late. One day does not seem much, but one day more may be one day too late. And one day too late is to be too late forever. One minute too late is an eternity too late. We cannot presume upon tomorrow. In fact, it's not even wise to presume upon the next minute. Now. Decide now. Speak now. Tell now. Go now. The command was given 2,000 years ago. What are we waiting for? Now. Come to Christ now. Tell the world now. Follow Jesus now. Shout his praises now. George Truett was preaching a crusade in Fort Worth many years ago that became the book A Quest for Souls. And he said, Satan really does not mind you attending these services. He does not mind you being moved by them even. He does not mind your tears. So long as you will not give yourself to Jesus Christ. You can have all the religion you want and all the experiences that you want. So long as you do not give yourself to Christ. You know, Satan is not adverse to religion. He's very good at it. And that's not to say all religious practices are satanic. Don't misunderstand me. But it is to say they are not the ultimate end. Christ is. Christ is. And I would say to you, when it comes to the people of God, he's profoundly satisfied with mere religious attendance and worship attendance, and Bible study attendance, and nice living, and kind living, as long as you keep the gospel to yourself. He's very satisfied with that. As long as the army of the Lord does not increase, we then are to share the gospel and invite people to place faith in Christ. And that leads me to address a pernicious myth that I put in the category of hyper-spiritualism. It sounds spiritual, but it is profoundly, biblically out of bounds. And that is the notion that we don't win people, the Holy Spirit wins people. The scripture doesn't say that. Uh, the word win in the New Testament is pytho, and it's never used of the Holy Spirit. It is used five times in the New Testament for the activity of the Christian. 
In 1 Corinthians 1, 9, 19 through 22. In fact, in verse 22, Paul said, We become all things to all men that we might by, by all means save some. So evangelism is like saving or rescuing someone. That's an image and metaphor. Only God saves. We know that. But by metaphor, by image, by analogy, we rescue the perishing. And so we share the gospel, and with a sweet and tender spirit, we invite people to Christ, and we help them deal with objections, and we under, help them understand why it is not wise to say no or to delay giving themselves to Jesus Christ. And, and then we have to leave the decision with them. But our role is to do more than merely share gospel facts. We share gospel facts indeed, and they are urgent, they are important, but we also follow the example of Christ and the apostles. And that is we invite men and women to come to Jesus Christ, to repent and believe the gospel. Paul said, knowing the fear of the Lord in 2 Corinthians 5.11, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Henry Ford had a life insurance salesman friend, but he bought life insurance one day from a life insurance agent who was nearly a stranger. And his life insurance friend heard that he had done that, and he came to Henry and he said, why didn't you buy it for me? And Henry Ford said, you didn't ask. And the reason why so many have failed to win people to Christ is not because they're lousy Christians. It's not because theologically they're in error. If we can correct some of those areas, let's do that. It's oftentimes because we merely share a testimony or a word and we do not invite men and women, boys and girls, to repent and place faith in Jesus Christ. We don't ask. Share the gospel and ask. And once you've asked, you do leave it up to them. I understand that. But we deliver our master's invitation. So may, may I ask you this morning, and will you let me play the role of matchmaker? I want to say clearly, in case there is some misunderstanding, Jesus Christ is worthy of your commitment just like, and a commitment that is on par with my grandparents' commitment when they were married in 1924 and stayed married until my grandfather's death 72 years later. Jesus is worthy of that from you. And anything less is unworthy of his matchless glory and his riches, his love. So I want to play the role of matchmaker this morning. Let's take your case. The scripture says in Ephesians 2.17 and Chapter 4, verse 18, that you are alone and alienated and without God in the world. There is no Savior to comfort your soul that's walking with you right now. He'd like to. But sin has separated you from your God. And yet, there is a Savior, a Master, a Bridegroom, reaching to you and inviting you to wed your soul in eternity to Him. He's paid the dowry price by bleeding at the cross. And his father was so pleased with him, he raised him from the dead. And he is alive. He has expended his life to get you. Let's treat him in a worthy manner this morning. Let's treat him in an appropriate manner this morning because of the sacrifice that he's given of his life. And he says now, that what you do is you simply transfer your trust from yourself to Him. Ephesians 2.89 say, For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourself. 
It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Jesus Christ is inviting you to join with him and to become his very own. And I've got good news for you. When you wedge yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus does not have the word divorce in his vocabulary. He'll never leave and he'll never forsake you. He gets you and he holds on forever. And he is good enough and he is strong enough and he is kind enough and he is here enough to do that and start it right now. Oh, Father, how we pray that you would work that great transaction in souls today. Please exalt Jesus in the repentance and faith of friends today. And we ask that you would give everything necessary and remove everything that hinders that friends may come to know him today and say yes to him. Lord, we realize there are others that are contemplating where they will serve you. We pray you would guide them. And all those that you're bringing to Beach Haven would come. And Lord, others that are considering your call to ministry and missionary service, would you do a neat work in them today? Please, God, pour yourself out on behalf of your beloved son, the darling of heaven, and let him be exalted in this moment today, and may we respond appropriately to him. Now, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song. And let me be real clear about what we do here at Beach Haven. We will stand, and we'll start singing. And when we do, step out from where you are and walk down one of these aisles, and our staff will be here in the front. And we want to ask you to meet one of our staff, tell them your spiritual need, tell them what you need to do today, and they will help you. There's no magic to walking the aisle. We're just giving you some practical help today, and we want you to come. So quickly, let's stand together. Let's start singing, and you come.
God bless you. Please be seated if you would. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. The presence of the Holy Spirit sure is an electrifying and satisfying thing, is it not? Amen. Praise the Lord. Hey, you've got a number of ministry opportunities in your worship guide today. Uh, there is um, something in there about Upward, Family Movie Night, the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering. Be neat if we could reach that goal today. Vacation Bible School also. We will be doing worship on Wednesdays during the summer. Uh, as we've been doing it in the um, winter and spring. And then this coming Wednesday night, I need you to bring your list of 15 people that you're praying for to come to know Christ. Uh, the prayer team has asked us to have that available and to bring uh, that. Uh, I want to say to you, Annette Knox, we appreciate you. Thank you for bringing your friends today. This is your church home. You come anytime and we love you. And uh, we want to embrace you today. But God bless you and thank you for being here. Uh, let's see, John, if you will, we've got some decisions today we want to present to you. I do, and I uh, also want to let you know that Joe Benfield will be leading our uh, prayer meeting tonight at 6 o'clock downstairs, and so I'd uh, love for you to come join us tonight at 6. Kay, come stand with me. This is Kay Broom. Uh, Kay has been in Athens about, what, 14 days? Three weeks. Three weeks. Uh, uh, she came by, she was locating in her Athens, uh, drove by, she saw our steeple, and she said, that's a church I think I'd like to visit, and she has now for a second week. Second week or third week? Third week. It is, all right, I'm, I'm still behind. Uh, third week, and has been involved in Sunday school, and uh, she's uh, coming to say, I want to be a part of this church family. And so we rejoice in that. Uh, she'll be transferring her membership from a church in Memphis, Tennessee, and, uh, and then going through uh, our membership orientation. So, Kay, we're delighted to have you a part of our church family. The folks will want to come and greet you in just a few minutes. Thank you. Young? Okay. I'd quickly say that our own Annette Knox has brought a whole bunch of her friends. And Annette, thank you so much. And one of them, Crystal, has come down and she came down and I don't think she'd mind me sharing this. Crystal, you stand, please. Because she said, I want to unashamedly come down and rededicate my life to the Lord. I am a born again Christian, but I've made some decisions. But she said, I want to rededicate my life. And she said it so, with such affirmation. And Crystal, we appreciate you. And thank you for that. God bless you. See Johnny, where Johnny Harvey? Come on up, and Allison, would you you want to come on up as well? Good. Yeah. Well, good morning. Good morning. Get my family up here and share a letter with you real quick, on behalf of our family uh, to you guys. So, um, here we go. Family and friends of Beach Haven Baptist Church. Uh, I'm reading this letter to you to share with you about the vision and direction that God has given to me and to my family. Um, as many of you know, my family and I have done our best when it comes to leading and serving from within our church, making disciples and evangelizing a lost, hurting world right here in Athens. Together, we've shared many triumphs and few obstacles in our time here. 